Welcome to Careers for the Blind. My name is Harrison Hoyes, and I'm losing my sight to retinitis pigmentosa. As my vision continues to get worse, I wanted to have conversations with other blind and visually impaired people to see what advice they may have to offer and keep me motivated and inspired and continuing to strive to do the best that I can in my career. I know I'm not the only person going through this type of situation. So my hope is other people will benefit from hearing these conversations the way that I've been benefiting from them. And in this way, I'll be able to give to others what my guests have been so generous to give to me. In May 2021, I had a conversation with an officer at the Central Intelligence Agency. She lost her sight as a teenager and after a brief adjustment period, was determined to continue to forge her own path. And it was in college where she discovered the CIA and decided to pursue a career with the agency. The CIA wants you to know that they're hiring. Seek out a recruiter at your university, job fair, or you can apply online at their website at cia.gov. Here's my conversation with an analyst at the CIA. I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me and share your story. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with vision loss? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited about this. So I had poor vision, I would say, um, passable vision for most of my life. And then I lost it when I was a teenager due to retinal detachment, um, which was, of course, challenging, right? Because I was in school. And so trying to teach your teachers how to teach you Mm -hmm. without knowing what they're going to teach you. Um, was a little bit complicated, right? But um, I got yes. through it. Um, but being being in your yeah. being a teenager, losing your sight—I mean, that must have been pretty pretty challenging, just emotionally. I mean, how did how did your how did you handle it, and how did your family take it? Oh, most definitely, yeah. So I am a bit of a hard charger um, in everything that I do. I kind of give one hundred and ten percent, and so. When I lost my sight, I made the decision not to go to any of the schools that help blind people rehabilitate, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best choice. I just chose to just keep going ahead with my life and try to live as uninterrupted a life as possible. Um, So the physical adjustment came first, right? The adjustment to the cane, the adjustment to the assistive technology, all the, like the individual orientation and mobility training, all that came first for me. And then I really processed the emotions a little bit later, um, which I'm glad that I eventually did get there. But um, yeah, it was it was a tough few years because, you know, it's a tough transition. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you know anyone that was blind when that happened? I did know a few people. I didn't know them extremely well um, because I had limited vision at that time. I was sort of aware of that small community in my area um, and in the school system I was part of. Um, And when I was losing my sight, obviously those people became much more important um, and really helpful mentors and were able to offer me a lot of guidance. Yeah, 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 of course. So you had poor vision, but then lost all vision. I guess before you lost all your sight and and then afterward, did you start to think about what type of job I'm going to have as a blind person? So I think that's an interesting question because right growing up, you always think about, Oh, what job do I want to have? Um, 
But I never put that caveat on the end of it. I never thought, oh, what job am I going to have as a blind person? Um, mm. There were obviously, like, I was never going to be a pilot, right? I knew that. Yep. Um, and there were, things, there were things that I think I would naturally shy away from because I would not feel safe doing them. Um, but in terms of what I wanted to do and what I was willing to pursue, I never limited myself to jobs that I thought a blind person could do. I kind of took the approach of, well, what am I interested in? And let me find a way to make that happen. Um, and I was so fortunate to have people in my life who really believed in me, uh, people in my life who had kind of gone before and who showed me that the transition to a fulfilling life as a blind person was absolutely possible. And I just really felt encouraged and lifted up by that, like that fact and the presence of those people. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. So I, I imagine uh, you went on to college, correct? After high school? Did, yes. Like a high school degree. Mm-hmm. And then what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college was working here at the agency. Oh, wow. Fantastic. The agency has an intern program for college students and that's how I got in. Okay. All right. So, so first it was an internship and presumably you did well, and then they wanted to, to bring you on full time. That's correct. Okay. I guess, how did you initially get the internship? When I was in college, I heard a former CIA officer speak about his experience here at the agency. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I was already sort of interested in international affairs, but more than that, I was interested in service and in making a difference in people's lives. And I, I thought about it, right? And I thought about the skills that I felt like I had, um, which I think lend themselves well to analysis, which is what I do. And I, you know, when I was speaking with that person and later I went to a recruiting event and they really encouraged us to apply for the internship program. And so I went on CIA.gov and I applied for the internship. Okay. So when you applied, did you have, did you disclose at that time that you were blind? I did. I actually put it in my, um, cover letter, which I'm not saying that you should do that with all jobs, but that was mm-hmm. the choice that I made and it seemed to work for me in this instance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've heard, a, there's been a lot of debate about, uh, disclose or not disclose or when to disclose it. And mm-hmm. so that worked out and you quite well, I'm happy to hear the CIA hired you, uh, after, and you know, after you disclose that right up front, and still, still brought you on. So that's great to, great to hear. I, f- I feel like a lot of blind folks don't want to disclose and they feel like if they do disclose too early, they just won't even be given any kind of opportunity. So um, that is really, really cool to hear that the CIA uh, was able to do that and, and, and brought you on. So what was, the, what was the interview process like? The interview process was uh, pretty lengthy. We, you have to have uh, clearance in order to work here. So after you apply, you have to fill out, do a series of tests. And for me, because I'm an analyst, that some of the tests that I had to do involved writing. And it, it was actually pretty great because um, one of the tests I had to take, there was like a times component and there were some images. So I reached out to my POC and I told her, hey, I'm totally blind. Is there a way that we can make an accommodation here. And she 
Um, I think this was the first time that she had encountered something like this, uh, that particular person. I don't think it's the first time anybody here has encountered a blind person coming through because I know I'm not the first blind person. Mm -hmm. Um, But so she was able to make an accommodation for me in that particular instance. And then I know that because, well, maybe not directly because of that experience. I can't say that I, you know, changed it for a fact. Um, But I do know that subsequently, um, they made sure that they had options available for people who are blind or visually impaired who wanted to apply here, so that if any of the testing was inaccessible, there was an alternate option for them, okay. uh, which I thought was really great. And yeah. so you know, after, after you go through all that, um, there's just, it's, it's a lengthy process. It can take over a year, but there's a series of inter- interviews you do, um, some hoops you have to jump through. Okay. All right. But I guess with the other than the tests, I imagine there was some more traditional interviews that you had that were conducted. Is that correct? Yes. So I guess in, in those interviews with, you know, sitting across the table from someone and they're, they're asking you questions, uh, how, how, how did those conversations go? I know, obviously, legally, employers and potential prospective employers are not supposed to ask you anything about your, your disabilities, but um, did you feel like you were on equal footing with a, a sighted person going through the interview? So, yes, I felt very supported. I actually felt like my interviewer was excited to talk to me um, and excited to have somebody who was applying who I don't know if she was excited specifically about blindness, but I just got the sense that she could tell um, that I was a different and b confident about that difference in a way that, you know, made me, I don't want to say useful, but just an asset, I guess, is the word I would use. Um, And I, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I've definitely heard this too within the blind community, this um, debate around whether you should disclose your disability or not. My personal philosophy on that has always been that I disclose upfront because what I've found in my own life is you know, sometimes people are unsure of how to interact with you or what to do or what you're capable of as someone who is blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of look to you for the cues. At least this is how it feels to me, right? So if I project confidence, um, I find that people tend to have confidence in me. So at the end of my interview, I actually opened up the, the topic. And I said, hey, um, I know you're aware that I'm blind. And I wanted to explain a little bit about how I do you know, day-to-day tasks and how I would do the tasks that I imagine I'll be asked to do if I work there as an analyst. Um, and then I wanted to ask you if you had any questions for me about my disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't even know if they, they are allowed to then open up and ask me about the disability. Um, but I wanted to provide that as an option for them, mm-hmm. both because I think it's important to talk about and because like, I am confident about my ability to do, do the job and I wanted to project that confidence and give them the ability to understand why I am confident. Okay. Can you share with, with us some of those things that you mentioned about how you would be doing the job and, and how you would be confident in your ability to, to do the various tasks? Yeah, so um, a little bit about my job at a high level. I'm an analyst, right? And basically what that means is that I synthesize information from a variety of sources, and I put that into a context that can help a policymaker 
um, make sense of the information so that they can make appropriate policy. Um, I, I don't, it's unbiased, so I don't contribute to the actual policy making myself. Um, I just try to provide as much information as I can. And so, you know, the daily tasks are things like working on the computer and drafting papers and, you know, going through a review process and um, giving presentations. And so the tasks that I would do are similar to tasks that actually you probably would do in college, um, right? Using word processors, preparing presentations, um, working with, in my case, a manager, in a student's case, it might be a professor, uh, about like around the feedback that you're getting on whatever it is that you're working on, things like that. And so uh, the, the way that I would explain that is just walking someone who is cited through the process that I would go through of using my screen reader, what my screen reader is capable of doing, um, all, you know, all this kind of stuff that for blind people is kind of second nature. Um, mm -hmm. But for sighted people, they just, they don't understand the techniques that we're taught. They don't understand the technology that we have access to. And so it can seem like kind of a foreign concept. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So at the agency, now that you've been there a little while and, and, and uh, you're using your screen reader, are there any obstacles that you've, that you've run into with interacting with, with various proprietary uh, software packages that, at, at the CIA, because I know I know for myself at work, it, not everything is 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 smooth sailing, right? Um, you know, are, have you encountered similar challenges uh, with 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 software, and and also how how do you over, overcome those challenges? I like that you asked that question. Um, the short answer is yes, but I'm not going to stop there because I think the nuance is important, right? Because, like you said, um, I think you run into accessibility challenges anywhere you go, right? I ran into them in college. I run into them in my daily life. And yes, I do run into them here at the agency. Um, the way that I would sum it up is that people's attitudes and people's willingness to help and people's desire to find a solution here has always been outstanding. I have always felt very supported by both the people in my immediate surroundings and people who are much higher up the chain than I am. And, you bring these issues to people's attention and they're always interested in helping. Um, that being said, yeah, there are definitely, there's software you know, that I can't use. There are challenges that I face, particularly within the IT space. Um, because we work on you know, secure systems, sometimes the things that they have to do to make those systems secure makes it harder to interact with different applications. Um, and that's part of, it's just part of the job. Um, what I've found is that since getting here and since being willing to advocate for my needs and to point these, these things out to people, um, I've been able to, you know, slowly, it, it's not a fast process, um, but I've been able to slowly help make things change, uh, and also raise people's awareness to these issues. Um, and then my coworkers have been wonderful in stepping up and if I can't get access to something, you know, they're willing to pull it for me, or if there's a graphic that I need to understand, they're willing to sit down and walk me through it. Um, and often when we do those types of things, right, there's knowledge transfer both directions. So in mm -hmm. teaching me about a graphic and in hearing the questions that I ask, because, right, I have no assumptions or prior knowledge about what might be in that graphic, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they actually sometimes start to see what they're looking at in a different way, or they start to wonder how it connects to something else. Um, and it can turn into this neat brainstorm where they have the information that I need. And I, because I don't have the information, right, I'm able to, to offer them ideas that they wouldn't think of because they're just looking at this graphic. So their brain is just honed in on what they're looking at. Um, and so it's been a really neat and really interesting exchange for me to work with my coworkers to try to make things accessible. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds, that sounds really neat. Do, do you find that sometimes somebody might bring something to you specifically for that reason that you can, you can look at it or not obviously not look at it, but you can approach it from such a different angle that your perspective is, is, going to be more valuable? I've never been outright asked that question, um, but I, we do you know, meetings and brainstorms together as analysts, um, and I've gotten the feedback from my coworkers that they always appreciate having me in their meetings because of the way that I think, um, or they appreciate having me look at the drafts of their papers because I'm able to kind of step out of, okay, this is what the paper says, and I'm able to step into why is this what the paper says? Or like, you know, what are the other things that should be considered? Um, and I, I've gotten some good feedback from, I'd say they're friends, right? But they're also coworkers um, mm-hmm. that I do offer a unique and useful perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear that a lot, uh, that, you know, being able to offer a different perspective is, is, is very valuable. You know, if you're, you're one out of 10 people in the room and, and you're able to even 10% of the time, you're able to offer that different perspective. It can be very meaningful to, to any organization. So that's, that's, that's very cool. Absolutely. And um, I would actually also want to add, um, I think that people who are blind and visually impaired have to hone skills that other people don't, right? I know for me, I, I've honed like a very strong memory just because you have to remember, right? All your roots and where you leave everything and mm-hmm. all the different keystrokes use your screen reader and things like that. Um, And that memory has served me really well when I'm giving presentations because I'm not operating solely off of my notes um, and I'm able to really engage with the customer in a way that makes them feel, you know, like they're really having a conversation with someone who knows what they're talking about. um, And it it ends up being a useful dialogue for, you know, a U.S. policymaker, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Early in life, you you mentioned you had some uh, mentors, maybe blind and visually visually impaired or or sighted. But at the agency, are there any blind mentors that that uh, you that you interact with? Yes, there definitely are, um, and there are just just like I feel like sometimes I'm a trailblazer, right? Um, or you know, I'm the first blind person anyone's ever met. There are people who came before me here who have done a lot of work to make sure that technology is accessible and also to um, create a culture, right, and nurture a culture here where diversity in the form of disability, but just in general as well, um, is valued. And so I, I do have blind and visually impaired mentors here, and I really value those relationships, just like I value, you know, the relationships with my sighted mentors. Um, and even in one case, I'm a reverse mentor to a more senior officer who is cited, who wants to understand my experience as, I think, probably a junior officer, but I think more importantly as a, a blind officer. And so I think that's a really cool relationship because I can learn from her experience and expertise 
in my professional life and she can learn about, you know, blindness. She can learn about the issues that I face and how to make the agency a more inclusive place. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, uh, at, you're just as competitive with your sighted peers in, in the workplace, or do you feel like you have to, you, you, you know, you, you, you go a little bit more above and beyond to, to be, you know, at the same kind of competitive level as them? I think that I am as competitive as my sighted peers. I think I'm probably more frequently frustrated than my sighted peers, just because I do deal with more, right, IT challenges than they do. Um, I have to come up with more workarounds than they do to do my job, and it, it does take a little more time. Um, but I think that the quality of the products that I put out is definitely on par with the people who are at my level. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that that's an issue. Yeah. yeah okay. Maybe that's not totally a fair question, but uh, uh, I might I might need to figure out a better way to ask that in the future for, for to some other <laughs> no. folks. I no, I think that it's an interesting way to phrase it, right? Like, because um, when you think about, are you on par with your peers? Do you, do you compete with your peers? Like, yeah, I do, and I have to deal with a little bit more than they do. Um, so how does it balance out, right? And I think it balances out that. I am competitive with them and maybe in some areas, right? I'm a little more skilled at problem solving, which is mm -hmm. a good thing. It can be frustrating, but it's a good thing. Yeah. Actually, that was going to be my next question. Is there anything that you think that you do better than your sighted peers because of your, your blindness? I think well, we mentioned the memory thing, right? Like mm -hmm. it really helps me connect with others. Um, it also helps me in my day-to-day -day life as an analyst because our job is information synthesis. And so if you can remember more things, you're going to do better. Uh, I think that my critical thinking skills are also a really important um, and useful skill that I've had to hone as a blind person. Honestly, uh, using a screen reader and being able to proofread things really easily and hear when things are misspelled is also very useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I find that when I'm using a screen reader, I'm proofreading or not even proofreading, but you're just reading a, an email chain among your colleagues. And uh, when you hear it, it's, it jumps out so obviously sometimes versus, uh, you know, when you look at it, somehow you can just overlook it more easily than, than hearing it. You know, when it's, it's, it is interesting how that, that can very easily be, um, be, be found with the screen reading technology. Absolutely. They, the, the advice they give sighted people is, you know, read your, what you're writing out loud to see if it makes sense. And if everything is read out loud to us by default, right, that's going to make us great editors. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to talk a little bit about some of the other types of positions that blind folks have at, at the agency? I don't know all of the blind people here. Um, I will be honest. Um, but I do know, so here we have uh, things called directorates, which are basically just the broad umbrella term for the type of work that you do. So right, I work in the directorate of analysis, and we have the directorate of support and the directorate of operations, which is kind of the things that people probably traditionally think of when they think of the CIA. Um, I will say that I think I know analysts who work in every directorate. Well, I'm sorry. 
I think I know blind people who work in every directorate. Um, I know someone who has run like a whole bunch of support functions at a very high level. She's a, a higher level officer at this point. Um, I know other analysts who are visually impaired. I know people who do uh, science and technology work. I know someone who does operational work and I actually don't know anything that he does beyond that he does operational work. Um, but I, I just, you know, I just know him. I know he's there. I know he does stuff and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a myriad of different positions that you can hold here. You you don't have to just be an analyst and you certainly don't have to work in a disability related job. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, working in a disability uh, related jobs specifically. That's definitely something I, I get a lot of in terms of, you know, when I'm talking with people about what kind of position do you have? And it, a lot of times it's, I work in the accessibility d- department of, you know, such and such uh, organization. And uh, it's really great to hear that, you know, there's people blind, visually impaired in all different aspects and all different types of positions at the CIA that you, you're not sort of relegated to to the just accessibility uh, departments and things like that. So that's absolutely. really great. Yeah, that is absolutely true, which I'm, I'm also really glad to see other people who are visually impaired in the, you know, the breadth of the jobs that we offer here. It's really cool. Yeah. Is there, is there anything that I haven't asked you about the agency that you, you just want to share? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to just talk a little bit about, my experience at kind of a high level and some of the things um, that I'll have the opportunity to do in my career. And then um, I'd like to just put in a little plug for our, um, some of our organizations that are working to make sure that this is an inclusive place because that, that's really been a lifeline for me here. So as an analyst um, and particularly as an intern, right? Like I think our intern program was amazing because they just They put you in and they're like, this is your job. You're doing your job. Now go do your job. So Mm -hmm. when I was an intern, I briefed in the White House, right? Which you think an intern might just be, you know, doing busy work or something like that. But it was really an amazing experience. Um, And I I can't speak too much about it, but I've seen direct policy impact from some of the work that I've done, which has been really rewarding. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like the warm fuzzies of the difference that I want to make in the world, right? Like I want to... Um, support like American values and I want to protect the American people and it's so rewarding to be able to get to do that work Um, some of the opportunities that are available to me that I have not yet taken advantage of are things like uh, traveling overseas and there's a whole bunch of different areas that you can work in or you can brief um, senior level policy makers there's all kinds of different really impactful jobs that you can do and all kinds of really interesting experiences you can have here. Um, and it's just neat, right? And, and you don't have to be what you would typically think of when you think of uh, like a CIA officer, right? Like all sorts of people are doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will say there are also a lot of organizations here made up of people like me, right? Who want to make sure that whatever group we're part of, whether it's people who are disabled or people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or people in different racial, religious minorities, like there are groups that are making sure that those people feel supported and heard. 
um, and that their interests are being advocated for. And that's been a really cool thing to see because they're very active groups, right? I see stuff like all the time in my inbox about different events that are happening and senior leadership come to these events, right? Like I've given talks that the senior leadership have come to. And that's just knowing that I have that support has really meant a lot to me. And I've been able to reach out to those people and form like, friendships and mentorship relationships. Um, and like I said earlier, I just feel very supported here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You mentioned you use a cane. Have you considered using a guide dog? So I actually, I do use a guide dog. Oh, okay. All right, so I guess what, at what point did you switch over from cane to guide dog? I got a guide dog uh, right after I entered college, basically as early as I was able to. Oh, okay. Are you not allowed to have a guide dog as a high school student? Um, I think you can, but I think it's a little harder to justify. Uh, but I'm not totally sure. I think it might also depend on the, the school that's issuing your dog. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I guess come to think of it, I don't know anyone... Not that I know that many blind people, but I don't know any, <laughs> any young young blind people with, uh, with with guide dogs. So I guess it's good to have it's good to have your cane skills first, and then and yeah, then yeah, and a guide dog. dog it takes a certain level of maturity and independence to to care for a dog too. So yeah, yeah. I like the guide dog lifestyle. Um, you definitely get a lot of attention. Yeah, good good attention. I hope you you know. It was definitely an adjustment. At first, it was a little annoying, right? Because people like want to pet your dog. And like, for me, that's a boundary. Some guide dog users don't mind, but I, I don't like it when people do that because my dog is very distractible. Um, mm -hmm. But over time, you also learn how to be, oh, like the girl with the dog, right? Uh, everybody loves the girl with the dog because she's got the dog. Mm -hmm. um, and it just sort of becomes part of, it, it becomes part of the way you enter a room, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. I think just kind of talk, going back to what I was talking about earlier about the confidence that you project, other people are going to pick up on it because if, especially if you're the first blind person they've ever met, right? They're looking to you for cues about how they should interact with you. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I find the guide dog, right? Attracts a lot of attention. And then I tend respectfully behave in a way that exudes confidence and almost sort of an expectation right, that I will be accommodated and that I will be um, respected. And I am, especially here. I've, I was talking um, to someone earlier when I, when I was preparing for this podcast about how uh, I've never really thought about it, but I've never been in a, like a briefing with a customer and felt like there was any difference between me and my fellow briefers in that customer's eyes. Like, it has never come up. I have always been treated with respect um, on all sorts of different levels. Um, in terms of you know, levels, in terms of the level of the customer that I'm briefing. Um, but that's been a really cool experience, right? And it's not something I ever really consciously thought about until I was preparing for this, for this interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, oftentimes, with a lot of the folks I've been speaking with, the, the, the most challenging part is getting the job. But, mm. you know, once you have the job and you're proving that you can do the job, uh, and even if you're interacting with, with, uh, with, with people, like you say, customers, if you're, you know, someone that's not part of the agencies or, you know, whatever organization you're, you're with, if you're in that position, you're there. So you must know 
what you're doing and you you know you're given the benefit of the doubt if you ha if you hold that position versus you're almost not some sometimes you're not given the benefit of the doubt of the doubt when you're applying for the job mm -hmm. yeah so so it's it's but that's great to hear you know that you're you're being treated just like everyone else which is great which is what what we want well, I think it's great that you're doing this podcast, right? Because not only are you raising awareness for people who are blind about what careers they can have, but potentially you're also raising the awareness of employers who are thinking, oh, I have this blind applicant. Like, I need to learn more, right? And maybe they'll find this podcast and they'll realize, oh, wow, these people have all these different professions and this is how they do them, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think this is great. I'm really glad that you're doing this. Yeah. What are you doing for fun these days? What kinds of hobbies do you have? Um, I am really into music, um, and I have been for as long as I can remember. I also play several instruments, uh, including the piano and the ukulele, um, and I'm learning the guitar. And then I love to hike. That's a big one for me. I really like being outdoors. Um, okay. And tandem bike. That's a new hobby. That's been really fun. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I got to get gotta give that one a try. My, my wife likes to bike, and... It's it's a little challenging to I well, I can't do it so so uh, yeah we, you know, maybe one day we'll get we'll get a tandem bike and give that a try. You gotta try it out. It's so much fun. I hope we can all learn something from listening to this conversation. I know for myself, it's incredibly important to display confidence. That when you display confidence in yourself, others will have confidence in you. I hope you come back to hear more inspiring stories with other blind and visually impaired people. And thanks for listening.